0: Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist, and I always like to start the day with finding out, how's Dr. Matt? Because, you know, you're a therapist. I am, So people come and tell you about their worst day. So let me be your therapist for like a minute or so. What's going on in the world of Dr. Matt?
1: Uh, (laughs) uh, Things are good, I guess. I don't know. That's good. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I hate it when people don't embrace therapy. I was going to – don't you? You know what I, I mean? It only works if I you I just talk. found out I owe more taxes than I thought I was going to owe. Uh, so I'm a little stressed about that.
0: Okay. So that's going to segue into yeah. kind of what I wanted to talk about. Is that, so
1: we're on to you now, huh? Yeah, but, not, but not taxes. <laughs> the shortest therapy session of all time. No, but
0: a, a statement like that or yeah. finding out information like
1: that yeah. was an excuse to drink. That's, yeah, for a lot of people, for sure. Any stressor, right?
0: Any stressor. And so let me just tell you uh, how I've been doing in the past 24 hours. Okay. So uh, I don't know if we told people, but I ended up
1: buying a new car. Uh, I, we have the same yeah, model. Yeah, four-runner. Yeah, four-runners.
0: And yeah. Um, yesterday, I backed my baby into another car in the gym. what
1: Yeah, and uh-huh. I have backup cameras. Yeah, and uh, I still ended up backing up into this. But brand. I did the same thing. Yeah, on the way to the show like two years ago, and I've never fixed it. So I backed up into this car. Yeah, a brand new Armada. Oh, Armada the front, How did you miss those? Those are huge. I don't
0: know, it's man. Like a tank. That's the same thing. My girlfriend, my ex-wife, my mom. Everybody's like, "How did you miss that?" How, I why thought did it you maybe s- it'd
1: be a Miata or something. No,
0: it would. No, it was an Armada. Okay. I mean, way big. Yeah. And I backed into it, and I pulled up, and I was like, and I looked around, and nobody was there. And I was like, I had to go pick up my kids for school, and I was like, I don't know what to do. And so I, so I took out my phone and I took pictures of their car, and my car. And then I took out a piece of paper and I wrote my name. Hey, this is Casey Scott. Unfortunately, I backed into your car. I'm so sorry. Here's my phone number. Please call me. And Very sl-
1: responsible. And slid
0: you. it underneath the windshield wiper. Yeah. And then I went home, and uh, I sat for three hours. Waiting for that phone to call. Yeah. You
1: know what I mean? Like, what is going to go on? Is if they were in there working out for three hours before they could call you. You're in trouble. That's a big dude. Well, <laughs> it was a lady. Okay. Uh, and she called me three hours lady,
0: later and she was like, hey, I didn't even know you backed into my car. Uh, I got out of the gym. I went and got a soda pop. I ran some errands.
1: <laughs> the and, thing <laughs> under the windshield. Yeah. And then
0: so she was, but then I finally saw it and my heart sunk. And then I looked around and I saw your note. Thank you so much. For leaving that. You know? Yeah. And I was like, no problem, that's what you're supposed to do. But when I told my kids and I told my girlfriend, they were like, Oh, that sucks. And I go, but does it? I mean, it's it's unfortunate. It's a bummer. It's a bummer, but that's why we have insurance. Sure. But I was thinking five years ago, that would have spun me out so bad. Mm. That the three hours waiting for her to call, the anxiety and
1: all of that would have You would have wanted to calm yourself down with a drink,
0: Yeah, and then she would have called and I would have been hammered yeah. and she was like, this guy's an idiot. Was he drunk when he hit me? And so it, it's it's weird almost coming up on five years in recovery of how I can deal with life's unfortunate mishaps that happen to all of us. Yeah. You know, and, and so to me, it was a good reminder because I was like, normally finding out I owe more on taxes or backing into a car right. would have been a perfect excuse right. for drinking. Oh, Even yeah. So much that I could I could explain it to people that why I'm drunk. Well,
1: both of those are are kind of big deal stressors that people talk about, like a car accident or you know, taxes. Those are things that are easy, easily become an excuse to drink.
0: I mean, the reality is my insurance is going to go up a little bit. And I remember I was driving my daughter to school and she goes, are you OK, dad? And I go, yeah. And she goes, you seem pretty cool about this. And I go, <laughs> honey, I've been in worse situations. Yeah. This is no big deal. I mean, I've got insurance. Uh, Nobody got hurt, and it's going to be okay.
1: I think when people overcome a really big crisis in their life, like alcoholism or addiction, and they're in recovery, I think it puts a lot of everything else into perspective, right? To where you're like, in the past, when my life was in chaos, that would have seemed like, oh, that's straw that broke the camel's back. I just can't handle life. But now you've overcome... And are in the process, I mean, however you want to say it, uh, you're in recovery, mm-hmm. you're doing well. And, and I hope that for you and lo- many of our guests, they talk about how that kind of puts all those smaller things, makes them smaller, puts it, them in perspective. I, and I right? love
0: perspective. Yeah. And it, it does. And it, so it's just, I mean, it's, it's interesting because in my active addiction, I would often use life's mishaps for reasons to drink. And then I didn't even need reasons. I, I I looked for excuses, and you know what I mean. It wasn't even that. It was like, well, I got to mow the lawn, so I might as well be drunk. Uh, I've let laundry <laughs> I've let laundry stack gotta up. Fold for, the socks. I've let laundry stack up for three weeks, so I might as well make a Saturday out of it and get drunk and do laundry. Yeah. you know. And and now I it, 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 for as dumb as this might sound to somebody who's never been a, an addict, um, doing those things with a sober mind is amazing to me and and, and, and i really enjoy it i mean so much in the fact today that i got hurt in a virtual reality (laughs) this morning look at my hand Oh, what happened? So I was in a virtual reality playing a game, oh. and, I, and I was that for TV for TV, oh. and I swung my hand and hit someone else's plastic gun. Uh-huh. And I was like, "Only I am I gonna get hurt in a virtual reality?" But
1: it's it's a virtual hurt. No, well, it's a real hurt. No, I mean, no. I'm just joking. It's, it's kind of bumped. I could tell. It's, yeah, you it's got a little goose egg on there.
0: So uh, I mean, it's it, it's those it's those little things in life that I think a lot of people. Uh,
1: but do you think it's just that you are in recovery, or? What about being in recovery help you think has helped you put it in puts things like this in perspective? Because those are the kinds of things we all complain about, like a car accident and stuff like that.
0: I think it's perspective. Uh, you know, I mean, recovery has given me that perspective to look back and see which path, if I would have gone down the other one, how my life would have turned out. And so – uh, I'm grateful for everything that I have today. I know I've worked for it, but I appreciate it so much more because one, I've done the work. Uh, we've talked about earlier in my in life and career, everything just seemed to work out. Yeah. And, I, and, and I used to just say that, but knowing that I did put in a lot of the work that got me
1: where I was. Yeah. you No, you worked hard, but it did work for you. Yeah, it did work
0: for me. And yeah. so when it didn't, then I had to start figuring out who I really was and what I wanted. And what I want is a chance to be able to drive my kids to school. Yeah. What I want is to be able to be an upstanding citizen. If I do something wrong, own that and and take care of it. I mean, the lady was genuinely surprised. She goes, I can't believe you left your number. And I go, well, that's what you're supposed oh, to too do. too
1: bad that she think you know, because – Maybe that's a reflection of what people do, but... I think it is. I think that is absolutely the right thing to do. It's so much better to be honest and then take off.
0: I know? was thinking to myself, "Is like... Because she said that, and I was like, well, I don't think I could have not left my number. Yeah. Because then I would have laid at night, and that would have just ate at me. I mean, it would... Good. W- I'm it, glad it, it You know what I mean? Yeah. It would just be like, you know, because... I don't know what their situation is. Maybe that they just rented that car or this, whatever. And then I put oh, them in mind yeah. because of my stupidness, and and that's what it was. I mean, it was my fault.
1: Yeah, I think recovery teaches people what what makes them really feel better. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like like being honest, like doing the right thing by keeping things in perspective. Those things actually soothe your soul. But being an active addiction. It takes you down a place that you you know.
0: How many times have we had people on this podcast who have had lines in the sand that they said they would never oh, cross? Every,
1: every but but
0: because of yeah. the addiction. Now I was just at the gym the other day, and this lady came up to me, and she goes, "Hey, I didn't know you were Casey," and I was like, "Yeah," and she goes, uh, "My husband was on your podcast," and oh. she said his name, and I of course said yes, uh, and then as soon as she walked away, I Googled him and to see. I was like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, I remember that,", remember that guy. and yeah. he was the guy. If you remember this, and, and it's we've been doing this for four years now, who robbed his kid's piggy bank oh, yeah. for drugs yeah. and left a note in there. Yeah, and left a note. Yeah, yeah, you know, and then yeah. he said one of the proudest days in his recovery is when he was able to pay his daughter back.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And see, that's what addiction does, makes you do things. Cross lines you'd never, never cross. Couldn't even fathom. Yeah. But there you are doing them. Yeah. And recovery makes you be the person you want to be. hmm
1: Absolutely no. Well, good on you, man. Uh, I'm sorry about the virtual injury, but I'm glad you I left the it. note. and Did the, I? I would have been surprised if you had just bailed. No, I because I know that. you. I but, couldn't do that, but yeah, I, I I think perspective. It's all about perspective. Like honestly, with the fact that I owe quite a bit more in taxes <laughs> than I thought I would. Notice how his voice uh, went up a couple <laughs> yeah. octaves. It's not just a little <laughs> bit more. Uh, but the reality is, if I put it in perspective. I am fortunate to have the career that I chose. I get Mm -hmm. to do the work that I chose to do, and I get to make enough money that I have to pay taxes more than I thought. So I look at it that way, and I'm like, you know what? If you put it in perspective, yeah, maybe there's a few things that aren't happening this year that I thought might be happening, but I am so fortunate to have to be able to do not just what I do, but what I want to do. At the end of day, and so yeah, you have to put things in perspective, right?
0: You can provide. For your family, yeah, you definitely, for and I'm
1: grateful for that opportunity. Absolutely.
0: So you've got a, a mental minute. Yeah.
1: Well, I just want to do something a little different today. Instead of giving you some news, yeah. Well, this is news, but Bunch it's of statistics. Community. Yeah. Well, I'm going to throw out a statistic at you. Did you know that 13 percent? It's just you can just say yes or no. 13 plus percent of children in Utah. Have high anxiety, clinical anxiety, or depression did you know that it 's would guess yeah, yeah. it 's a, it's a high percentage, and many of those also struggle with suicidal ideation mm-hmm. thoughts now suicidal ideation may is important to distinguish because sometimes kids and adults anybody, you have thoughts about wishing you weren 't here, and that may not be an active suicidal thought like that person has a plan, but it 's of high concern, and a lot of children walk around feeling like they have these suicidal types of thoughts. That make, like,
0: I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've often thought of this as a young man. If I was, that was the question, if I were to kill myself, how would I do it? Is yeah. that ideal?
1: Yeah, you're, you're contemplating suicide in some fashion. Uh, but, I don't, but I don't know if I was or really contemplating. contemplating not, not just, being around. Yeah, I or, was just like, yeah. if I
0: was going to do it, how would I do how it? How would you do it, yeah.
1: Yeah, people think in those sorts of terms. And the problem is that we're learning that more and more children have this or maybe we're just discovering how many children struggle with this. But um recently featured on uh K U E R was uh, a program about Izzy's Village, which is a new... uh, Do you know Izzy's Village? Well, I know of Izzy because my
0: my kids are in the Davis School District.
1: Okay, okay, good. And so Izzy, unfortunately, uh, passed away from suicide in 2021. And her mom, Brittany Titchener-Cox, has started a new uh, nonprofit suicide awareness group called Izzy's Village. And uh, they are uh, growing in numbers because they provide a lot of great information and activities for individuals, families, children, adults in our community to learn about uh, uh, suicides. Nonprofit, we like to support them, Um, and it's very inclusive uh, for people of all races and and genders and things that want to participate in this and learn more about uh, what uh, is available in our community. Um, And uh, they are going to be doing every other Friday, get-togethers where they have dinner and activities for kids and information for adults. The next one is coming up on April 14th. And if you want to get the details on where that is and and everything, you can join their Facebook uh, group. I have joined their Facebook group, Izzy's Village on Facebook, and all the information and updates are there. So I just wanted to bring that. I love uh, the fact that uh, people in our community are taking tragedies. And turning them into triumphs, they're providing opportunities for people. Uh, Suicide, depression, anxiety, mental health is very, very much integrated into the world of, of addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes addiction causes the mental health problems. sometimes the mental health problems cause addiction but what we need to do is kind of band together and help support people that are struggling whether it's directly with addiction or not I'm sure a lot of the people that might benefit from going to these get-togethers with it, uh, Izzy's Village also may be struggling or have family and friends who are struggling with addiction so I, I, I hope people will check it out at least join the Facebook group show them a little love that way and be supportive
0: I agree, a hundred percent. And the stigma that goes uh, along with suicide is just as bad, if not worse, than the one that goes with addiction. I,
1: I agree. I think we've made more progress with the addiction. Um, than we uh, stigma than we have with with suicide and mental health, and and,
0: and and what it's going to need is the same thing that addiction needs an education for everybody involved, and we're not talking about just those who are suffering. It's family members of those. Yeah, it's it's the, schools, these are all family. It's communities. Yeah. It's teams. And so, if you get a chance to join that and go to that, uh, you know. A lot of times when you're in the situation of addiction or suicide, you're not prepared because you didn't think it would ever happen Absolutely. to you. So you're a lot of times just reacting to the situation. If we could better prepare ourselves. Yeah. So parents just go to this, these, these get togethers, find out, look for signs
1: yeah. uh,
0: and, and, and know what you're looking at because and enable to
1: have conversation starters with our kids. What would be more valuable to have some preventive skills on than helping your children through mental health problems. I, I can't think of anything more valuable. I'm a part of uh, the walk
0: to Wendover
1: uh-huh. Uh, it, it's a suicide
0: prevention walk. It's actually the nation's largest suicide prevention walk. Mm-hmm. It's happening in April 28th uh, out in Wendover. Uh, it starts in Tooele, Utah, which is a 100-mile walk. It's a two-day walk. Mm. Uh, they follow you in a bus, and so you can get in and get out. And it's over a 100 people right now. They're hoping to get more, and they end with a big concert. So uh, if you want to be a part of that, uh, I'll be a part of it, and I'll be doing the, the ceremony at the end. It's the walk to Wendover. You can find it on Eventbrite.com. And, cool. uh Go check it out. And
1: and Josh, he can put some links for both of these in our on our Facebook, I think. So anybody who's on our love and it. the show notes, yeah.
0: Now earlier in this podcast, you talk, you, you heard me talking about how I'm coming up on five years of sobriety.
1: That's right. And a lot of times, when and people, fifty, aren't you almost fifty? I'll be
0: fifty in a year. Yeah. Uh, and when you find people talking about the recovery, it seems to be that a lot of people are in awe of those with bigger numbers, more time. You know, more years. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. And I remember when I was sitting in a twelve-step room. And uh, the guy who got up and started the thing goes, hey, listen, unless you've got two years of sobriety under your belt, we don't want to
1: hear from you. Wow, that's pretty exclusionary. And I went and
0: I was there with three days. I wanted to hear from a guy who's got six days because I couldn't imagine going from three to six. Yeah. And so it kind of turned me off. Now, not every room's like that. Right. But a lot of times we celebrate those who have got 20 plus years in recovery. And I think there's a lot we can learn from them. Uh, sure, yeah. My man Joseph, you've got 156 days? 159 today. 159 today. All right. He's actually in uh, IOP right now, currently. Which is? Inter- uh, Intensive,
1: Intensive Outpatient, Outpatient Program. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. There you go. I didn't know there was going to be a quiz.
1: Oh, sorry. Yeah. And so, it's a professor uh, in me.
2: Do you know when you're going to graduate? I'd like to say in a, in a couple of months I'll, I'll graduate, um, the IOP part of it, and then I'll go to the continuing care of it. So... Uh, Then that can last up to a year, just depending. Yeah. But uh, in the next few months, I'll I'll complete the program and have my ceremony for the transitional. Well,
1: that's so cool that you'd come on and talk with us today.
0: Yeah, and so this is a a big deal for us. So we're going to find out more about that. You're listening to Project Recovery. I'll get my dates and facts and names correct. Yes. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. we got all our ducks in a row. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt We've Willey. been
1: practicing saying names. Our guest
0: today is Joseph. Joe, call. Joe. Joe, how are you? I'm doing well, Cassie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, burn. <laughs>
2: Coming
0: out hot. I like that. So uh,
2: where does the story of Joseph begin? I'm <clears throat> um, in the potato fields in Chubbuck, Idaho. Uh, I was born out there in 85. Uh, uh, to a beautiful mother kathy piano teacher most amazing woman in the world but um from there then i left i left uh, but let's
1: let's pause on the potato yeah. fields mm-hmm. like did you work in those fields growing up
2: no no i was in the newspaper though eating the spuds when i was when i was a young kid so, okay you know, that's see that would have been my
1: then. style eating the potatoes not because i've heard that that's actually really hard work working yeah in those yeah i would fields. imagine yeah.
2: but uh, no no work in there for me so okay. how
0: long did you stay in idaho
2: until I was four is what I believe I remember but my mom said two so only two years okay yeah. and then she took me away to get away from my father why So because um, he was a drunk and a drug addict so she did it to protect me I didn't know that at that age or when I was 13 but uh, that's what she did and so where did she take you um, I, I always remember uh, she ran away with the babysitter, right? That was the that was the husband uh, who was in the Navy. So we moved all over California, um, and and that that part of the United States. We ended up in Portland, Oregon, when I was thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: was it just you, your mom, and uh, the Navy guy?
2: Yeah, and then then we had a sister. Or I had a sister about halfway through it. So and then that was it. You know, so.
0: Mm-hmm. And then you find yourself in Portland, and that's where your story gets a little bit interesting.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's when I found the birth certificate uh, with my my father's name on it, right? And uh, decided to pack up my bags and hit the road.
0: But w- w- was home life so bad that you wanted to, or did you just want to feel a connection to your father and go find him? Well,
2: well that's probably where, where it started, because uh, minus the father thing, uh, when I was probably 12 years old, I, they wanted to pull me out of public school and wanted me to be homeschooled. And then wanted to throw the religion on me hard, I was only allowed to talk to to uh, people that were in the church that we were going to, and uh wasn't allowed to listen to the radio stations anymore, only allowed to do church activities and so so I felt I was being sheltered and i i I mean I got pulled out of public school you know to be homeschooled, and now I can't talk to girls right I'm, 12, 13 years old. That's when you start to like girls. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so. That's pretty tough. So so kind of isolating you from the world.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was difficult for me because all my friends that I had started to make uh, were out there, right? So, Because being a Navy kid, we were all over the place. And, and I didn't get those long-term connections with friends. And I just barely started making them again, I feel. And it was like, no, you're not going to talk to them. You're not going to do this. Was this a new religion for your family? Well, My, my mom was a I was a believer, but it, uh, the new Christian church we were going to, I think she just dove into it hardcore mm. and and was just trying a new route, right? Because, I mean, I'm a big guy, and I was acting out, right? But I, I was reaching out, really, if I look back at it now. Um, and she was just doing what she thought yeah. she needed to to protect me. You know? and. Up to this point,
1: age 13, you didn't know about your birth father.
2: No. I, well, I, she had had a conversation with me before that he was a really bad guy and that I don't have nothing to do with him. Okay. So that's all you knew.
1: Mm-hmm. And is that why you were snooping, looking for yeah. things like the birth certificate? Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's really common. kid. We want to know who we are, where we come from. Uh, origin story. Origin story. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so for kids who uh, don't have both biological parents right there in the household, you get curious about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was hard, right? Like, because I really didn't know about it growing up the whole time. Probably until I reached that age, and that's when it was like, "Well, you want to change your last name?" Well, then my mind got to think why? Why do I want to change my name? Right? Like, who's my real dad? What's really going on? Oh, yeah. Um, and that's that's when it all all kind of got interesting for me. And then and then when I found the birth certificate, and after having all that isolation and not being able to do anything, um, probably made it easy for me, right?
1: See, now, at 13, the most mobile I was was on my, like, BMX bike, Mm -hmm. you know, going down to the store, you know, buying treats. But you packed up and and took off. So tell us that because that's that's piqued my
0: interest. Before you pack up and go off, had you been experimenting with drugs and alcohol?
2: Not at all. Not at all. I smoked a cigarette with uh, one of my buddies that we snuck out of my window, and it was disgusting, and that's all I'd ever had okay and
0: so at 13 you find out who your real father is and you pack a duffel bag yeah
2: it was my, actually my grandfather's military one i filled it up and and then i hopped on my my uh um not a bmx bike a mountain bike and it was raining and i hit the road and where'd you go uh i went down that way and over that way you know eventually um to the TriMet. right i don't know what that is it's the it's like the train here the uta train uh-huh it's the TriMet. um and I was down, down, downtown Ogden at 13 years old.
1: So you made it from Oregon to Ogden on the train.
2: No, so when I first left there, um, I ended up going down to the mall, the Tigerd Mall, and talking to a guy at the kiosk there that worked at the cell phone store, and he was going to be my roommate. So I'm 13 years old. I go to the mall.
1: Oh, that's not good. And find,
2: <laughs> yeah, find a roommate, and then and then so I went over to stay there, and I enrolled myself into school at Tigert High without a parent. Um, wow yeah i don't know how i did that my I mom know. still doesn't either but yeah. but um then i got kicked out of there for drinking So that's one of my first drink was okay um, um was was drinking vodka out of a mountain dew bottle somebody ratted me out so
1: and this was just weeks or this months was after a week. this no, was, okay. was
2: probably in a week or two after, after leaving home after leaving home. now
1: did your mom have any idea where you were no, no no had she reported you as a she, runaway
2: I, I don't know the specifics but she said she drove around every night looking for me okay so but i, I never seen myself on a milk cart she probably didn't think to
0: look for you in school uh, yeah, no <laughs> probably no. not it's no. no. a good place to hide
2: in plain sight yeah and then and then so um i got a job at Rainier roaster at 13 years old in the mall which was tossing chicken making salads. Is there nobody
1: in Oregon looking at this 13-year-old going, maybe he shouldn't have a roommate and work at a chicken shack?
2: <laughs> but you must
1: have been convincing. I'm pretty good at
2: that. Yeah. yeah I could I could definitely talk what needs to be said. That's, so
0: you're 13, you found a place to live and you found yourself a job. Mhm and then uh now are you drinking on the regular?
2: I'm starting I'm starting so I'm starting to drink more and experience more things. I'm hanging out with the hippies down in Ogden – or not in Ogden, in, in downtown Portland because they're, they're really nice people, you know. that's where I had my first real drunk with uh charcoal filtered vodka and I uh, never touched the charcoal one since because it was just a horrible experience, but um that and weed, um nothing hardcore nothing other than that important but
1: you're 13 so you're probably Mm -hmm. hanging around with people quite a bit older than you yeah yeah definitely they're
2: all in their 20s definitely
1: none of them questioned like where you should be no no
2: yeah. No. <sighs>
1: and and we've talked about like people who use. So whether they're the hippies or the hardcore guys or whatever, if you if you're cool, they're very inclusive. Mm-hmm. It's so a very you, welcoming group. Yeah. Oh, you probably definitely. did feel very included. But mm-hmm. was there anything sketchy or scary about it for cuz 13, I I'm, I'm trying to picture myself at 13 mm-hmm. and it's like I think that would have scared me to be around a bunch of people I didn't know, but it sounds like you felt at home.
2: Yeah, I was I was at home. I was good. Um, there was no fear. I was walking the streets of portland and and doing my thing and and not afraid of anything right
1: and did anybody everybody treated you all right yeah, like yeah. yeah
2: up until the boss at Rainier Roaster um, when I worked there I, he uh, had offered me some money and and took me down into the blackberry fields there um, and and you could imagine right like he had bad intentions yes, yeah. yes, and then um tried to offer me more money to come with him to his house after that and and then I ran from there. Um, yeah. So not everybody had good intentions, no. It's just well, that's that.
1: one of my concerns about uh, teenagers who run away is they often we've heard other stories on the show and we just kind of know that it, it can be in a dicey adult world out there.
0: Well, it's like yeah. the witch who lived in the candy house. You know, I mean? yeah. They're going to get yeah, you yeah. in one way or another, but they don't have good intentions. And right. I think that's what a lot of the, uh, the older people are thinking. Right. Uh, I don't want to say that all of them, <clears> but, <throat> but I think that's a good part no, of it. No, but unfortunately there, there so are So you're those. kicking around Portland for how long?
2: Mm, for probably around a year.
1: And then- uh, Any contact with your mom during that time? N-
2: no, no. My stepdad and my sister actually seen me working in Rainier Roaster once. I remember looking out, right, and seeing uh-huh. them stand over there looking at me. And they never told my mom. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Your stepdad and your sister never said anything? No. No. Why do you think-
2: uh, I think my stepdad knew that I wasn't going to come back anyways. Uh-huh.
0: And he uh, knew that you were working, so he felt like you were yeah. in a good place.
2: Yeah, or so he thought little. Did he know what was getting ready to happen, right? Like, yeah. Neither did I. I never could have imagined, you know.
0: Yeah. Um, that's heavy.
2: Yeah. That's only, I've only spoke that a few times, once in treatment and, and then to maybe a few other people. So that's a real big deal. And that, that's, yeah. when, that's when I, I went to, to really look for my dad was after that happened so
0: that was the catalyst for you to leave portland and uh
2: yeah that's when i went i hopped on the tri i went to a library i'm not sure where the library was but i researched every ted call that i could find and ended up finding him down here i called and the first conversation was uh a click because he thought i was his po is what he told me <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: so so that's a pretty i mean does it seems like it would be a common name there's probably a
2: lot of ted calls yeah it's a good thing i had the middle name that made it a little bit easier okay. so
0: so you find him you call him he hangs up you call back mm-hmm. and you tell him what hey
2: i'm your son and how what he say? Son? um i i don't remember the specifics but um i know i know real soon um my uncle tim was on on his way up there to get me and bring me down here and i came down here and i met my dad for the first time behind the weeper county jail glass because he was back in jail by then mm-hmm. um i don't know if it was a day or a week or however long but it happened fast and then after that i went back to portland um i don't know, probably because i didn't think i was going to stay here because i didn't really know anybody and he wasn't there and then uh, did you go back to portland to your parents house or did you just I, go back to the street i went back to the roommate okay i went back to the roommate and then when i was with some friends we ended up going down and stealing some beer from a um from a store and i remember running and jumping up in a garbage can to hide and uh, then the cops came and I went to the police station and my mom and my stepdad came to there so this is the second time that he's seen me and only the first time my mom's seen me since I left um and I begged him and begged him just to let me go back and get my stuff I'm gonna come home just let me just let me go right mm-hmm. and it was convincing enough to where my mom let me go right I had no intentions on going back there i I was coming down here and so as soon as I got out of there and and got Back over there, I called down, and my uncles got me a bus ticket down here, and I was on my way here. Mm. Been here since November of '99.
0: And so, at this point, do you think you're just a young kid trying to find his way in life, or do you think alcohol and drugs have a hold of you?
2: They're already grabbed a hold of me, hundred percent. Yeah. And and is it just drugs? Is it just weed and and alcohol? Up until I moved here, and then once I hit Utah, then it was meth. Meth. Yeah. Do you
0: do you know the circumstances around the first time you tried meth? Uh, um,
2: I was with some family, so. that's um, that I that, that mean by circumstances? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was with was with an uncle. Um, God bless his soul. He's an amazing guy. Now he's got his life together. Right. He found his sobriety. But, um, fourteen years old. Yeah, doing doing meth with my uncle, and then when my dad got out of jail with my dad. Right.
1: So was that their DOC then? Yeah, was the meth.
2: Yeah. 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 Um, and
0: do you, do you remember the feeling of meth was did, was it an easy uh jump to make from uh weed and alcohol to meth or did did you have to think
2: about it? Um I I think I begged for it really. I I, I think I remember my uncle being like no 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 you're not going to do this right because it wasn't just him but but I'm almost sure I begged for it. Like I want this, this is what I'm going to do and and their theory was okay well if he's going to do it he might as well do it with us. Right.
1: Why do you think that you were begging for it? Like, what? What were you? I think I to draw.
2: I think I, I was trying to find a way to deal with the trauma from Portland.
1: Mm, yeah.
2: You know, Um that's about the, the best reason I have. Plus, I, I like to stay busy, and that helped me numb all of the thought. I didn't, well, I didn't think about what had happened to me then, right? Because I didn't share it with my dad when I moved down here. Um, so, so probably it helped block it.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, trauma. <laughs> It, generally a person goes through kind of the experience of trying to push it out of their mind and then things will trigger and it'll come back and that's overwhelming. So they try to push it out of their mind. And that's why people who are struggling with trauma, unresolved trauma, often do turn to drugs and pretty heavy drugs because uh, that might feel necessary in order to not think about the traumatic experience. They want to, bury the it. They want to numb yeah. it. They want to hide yeah. it. Yeah. So, I mean, that makes sense. And then, of course, you were... With family now, mm-hmm. your dad's family, and uh, they were they had something
2: available to you, yeah. I guess. So. Mm-hmm. And then I go to my first family reunion here, um, which I was really excited about, and we get drunk, right, because our family's a partiers. And then I wake up with an uncle in my tent, right? I, as you can imagine now, now I've taken my trauma to another level, right? I never spoke of that to my family either. But at fourteen years old, now I've got an uncle that's molested me, so my drug use came even hardcore after that. Mm. After we got back from the family reunion, wow. Well, being uh, being
1: abused in any way is traumatic. Sexual abuse is sort of another level of trauma because of the you know the intimate and insecure nature that it creates within a person. And then, unfortunately, most. Uh, children and adolescents that are molested. It's by a a trusted person. And isn't that sad that that that's the, you know, it's not a stranger in the dark that comes and gets you. That might almost feel a little bit easier to manage emotionally. But, you know, your first experience was with a boss that gave you a job. And there was probably some level of trust there with this adult, uh, especially being so young. And then, of course, a family member like an uncle and yeah, I would imagine now you were pretty much reeling with trauma and, and being too young to know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So you did what you know, and you just turned up into the drugs even did harder. Did you ever yeah. bring up uh, what happened with your uncle to your dad?
2: I I don't think so. Okay. Well, but if I would have, it would have been when we were getting high and it, and it didn't stick. Yeah. Because I feel like, well, now the, the family's definitely going to know now, you know, and I'm not trying to, to shit bad light on my family because i got an amazing family mm-hmm. but that's something serious like, sure like the fear in in my mind is like who else mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like now now what has to happen and that was that was in 99 2000 that was 23 years ago yeah
0: so now you're eating the drugs even harder and where does your life go from there
2: um i met my son's mother uh Within those next... So when I was 14 to 19, it was just drugs and working and drugs and working, and then that's all it was. Nothing more than that. Never
1: went back to school.
2: Um, well, I went to Tigard High School for a couple of months, but all that was was a place for me to meet people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my dad said, all right, if you're not going to do school, then then you need to just come work all the time. So I went to work full-time for my uncle who owns call painting. Um, it was easy because it was a family business. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's when... All I did, all I did was, was get high and and go to work and come home. And then I had my son when I was uh, 19, 20. Let's see. Goes, um, yeah, 19 or 20. And then um, then my addiction, it stayed the same, right? Um, so you thought that's what life was, was yeah. working, getting high, yeah. working, getting high. That's all
1: I knew. But doing, it sounds like you were regularly doing meth for those mm-hmm. five-ish years mm-hmm. before your son was born, what effect does that have on a person doing meth regularly for five years?
2: Um, well, I had a lot of back problems after, and, and I think that that uh, that's probably not what you're asking, but maybe like no, a trauma. I am. Yeah,
1: no, any, like physically even, like, I mean, I think we can bottom, kind of yeah. imagine drinking for mm-hmm. five years, but most people don't have much experience with meth. And I think what we know about it may not always be true. So mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious for a young guy, how did you survive doing meth for five years? Uh,
2: with a lot of pain, a lot of pain, a lot of lost teeth. Um, I didn't eat much, right? So there was a lot of, there was a lot of things that went on. But otherwise, like if I was doing drugs, I was fine. You know, in my head, right? Right. Even though I might not have looked like it,
1: but you're losing teeth. You're probably underweight Mm because you weren't eating well. Mm -hmm. You're experiencing physical pain. Uh, Yeah. No. I'm. That's what I think is uh, kind of curious that you could last that long doing it every day. But I guess people do.
2: Yeah. Well, this is that's just as a beginning. So, um, then then, so where are we at? We're at like 2006, right? Um, I get beat up. So I had my son in two thousand four. So two thousand six I got I got beat up down on twenty eighth and Pingree um for a drug deal. Whether it was one that went bad or somebody else on my family's or what it was, I I don't really know the specifics, but I know that I woke up in the hospital and was told that I got beat up by a metal fence post. Uh, mm. on I'm twenty eighth and Pingree. So now my head's in. I got twenty seven staples on my head and this jaw's all all um all metal and my mouth's wired shut. And so my mom wow. comes down for this. It's the second time or well, the first time I've seen her since you ran away yeah since I ran away and then since she sent me in the jail right there and she comes down here and I just barely found out that she didn't stick around because she was too afraid of of what would follow me hmm. not of, not of me but the people or whatever would follow me otherwise she would have took me home but she didn't want to bring back whoever I had ties to or whatever I was involved with home.
0: She was protecting her family, or yeah. what she might have thought. I, yeah. I don't want to put. Yeah. Yeah. Did
2: you want to go back with her? Though? I, I don't think that I would have. I don't think I would have. Mm-hmm. But I might have because I stopped doing meth. That day, that that's when I stopped the first time. Mm. Um, so I probably would have went back. But she got me a bus ticket, or not a bus ticket, a cab ride down to the homeless shelter down here. So when I got out of the hospital. I got into the homeless shelter down here for one day because I had two bottles of liquid Lortab and in the shelter, you know, with that, it wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, And then shortly after, might have been a couple days, she had me in some treatment center down here. I don't remember which one, but I know that they made an exception to get me in. And then that didn't last for very long because it just didn't work. It wasn't time for me. Um, So you go back out on the street? So I go... I go back to, no, my Uncle Billy actually um, came and picked me up, great guy, and he took me to his home, and the, the rules was I was not going to talk to nobody that I had contact with before, and I was going to work with him and his business, and, and he helped me stay sober.
0: And and how long did the sobriety last for?
2: Um, well, if we're just talking about the drugs, it, the, the meth, it lasted for, for 12 years, but if you're talking about sobriety, it probably lasted two days because then I was drinking.
0: So you just substituted, yeah,
2: it. yeah. So then I I started doing the alcohol, um, and and it slowly progressed, right. And then my back pain started happening. I don't know if it's from when I got beat up or from from the drugs that I had used or or whatever. But I got degenerative disc disease and spinal stenosis and bulging herniating discs. Mm-hmm.
1: That's chronic pain.
2: Yeah. So so now if you know pain, you know that it, that it is yeah. definitely. It's I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It's mm-hmm. some of the most horrible days i've lived in my life was with back pain um then i started going to all these pain clinics and they're giving me all these pain pills and 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 i'm drinking more um and
1: mixing the two yeah of that. oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. dangerous
2: B- yeah serious like that's a big deal and i'm i'm not talking like a little bit of drinking and a little bit of pills i'm like i would take five six seven roxycodone 15s and drink a fifth of a, a vodka you know wow like every day every day holy cow for, i did not of course I didn't start out as that for those yeah. 12 years but I, I always say i was sober for 12 years because i didn't do meth for 12 years right but now sobriety has a totally different meaning to me i'm learning that but um during those 12 years it progressed and the, the pain pills got more and more and more and then i'm buying them from people right yeah. um, because withdrawals are horrible did the doctor stop prescribing for you? Um, the doctor stopped prescribing roxycodones because of some new laws. Mm-hmm. And then they tried the hydromorphines and the oxymorphines and the morphines and every kind of pill you could imagine until I would find another doctor that would give me the roxycodones. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, this is when my meth addiction started back up. I, I wasn't getting the pain pills that I needed anymore. So I reached out to my my dad. Hey, can you give me some medicine, right? And you brought me up a bottle of, of some medicine, but it has some dope in it. Mm. Mm. So there I am, 12 years sober from that, struggling with a pain pill addiction and pain with an opportunity to do something that used to work.
1: And you hadn't done it for 12 years?
2: Nope, I hadn't touched it for 12 years. Wow.
1: Were you nervous about starting up again?
2: No. It was easy. It was okay. You know, but... but I was so against it for those twelve years, right? Like I taught the lady that I was with, like people that do dope, they're bad people. Like not not necessarily bad. They're they're not bad people. They're just going through a bad time of their life. I gotta yeah. kind of learn to to explain it right because no, I I understand what you're yeah. saying. You're just you don't
0: want to no, be associated I've... with those people because you know yeah. what it does. And
2: then
1: you, yeah. yeah, yeah, the drug changes the person.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I had taught the woman I was with for those twelve years how to protect herself from people like myself who I was going to become again and
0: so so how how quick do you get back into your habit
2: oh instantly it it was instant it was like all right cool can I get a sack it's on you know and I had access to a lot of money because I'd been real successful for 12 years and the woman I was with was real responsible with money so it was easy it was easy to just hand out money and get dope and be just back in the mix just like I'd never left
0: Mm. but eventually that comes to a crashing end
2: yeah um so when she found out the woman i was with when she found out that um i spent a lot of the money that was saved um she locked me out of the house uh 12 years worth of life gone whatever that's okay um her broken heart my broken past and then i then i moved back to the streets and i'm out and i'm selling drugs again and uh, and i'm just doing a hardcore. being homeless, experiencing some great things, but some things that people shouldn't have to experience, right? Um, and Wait, then I'm going to stop I, you there. Yeah, mm-hmm. give me an example of a
0: great thing being homeless.
2: <laughs> well, my, my great experience of being homeless, I've got, I've got quite a few of them. Um, so I was pushing a shopping cart down West Seventeenth with a burning barrel in there, right, with a fire going. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, why not? These are these are things that. I remember it as as a great experience and fun, right? Yeah. Um, And and the Weber County Sheriff's coming, you know, and putting it out and giving me blankets, right? Like, that was positive. You know, thank you, Weber County Sheriff's. You know, they're always there for me. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I I, I can see it. I mean, I mean... Or being down at the Ogden Ogden sign. You know the Ogden sign? There's a fireplace right there? Yeah. Right? Nobody's ever used that. So here I am. You know, I'm going to be creative. I'm down there with my pallets, right? Bringing off my pallets, having a fire going right there. And here come Ogden City. What is this guy doing? You know? Yeah. I'm having a fire staying warm. (laughs) So they put it out. And once again, right? But then the chief of police or whoever he was gave me a ride to McDonald's, bought me breakfast, and dropped me off at my uncle's. Okay. Like. So there is some kindness out there. There's a lot of kindness out there, yeah. But there's a lot of ugly. There's a lot of ugly.
0: So how long did you live on the streets for? Um, a couple of years.
2: A couple of years, yeah. And, and, and a couple of years to, to learn enough to know how to make winter gear out of an old leather couch, you know, or or to put the the padding from the um, carpet store inside of your shoes like a doctor's Soles when your feet are wore out. Um, long enough to have met just about everybody in Ogden that's on the streets and, and built some lasting relationships with them um, you know the the people at Flying J right that's where you go when you need a shower when you're homeless most people that are on the streets know that because the Flying J they'll, they'll help you out uh, there's a lot of kindness but there's a lot of evil a lot of evil I've experienced some crazy people um, some bad people uh, but but for the most most part just a lot of people that want help.
0: You said something earlier in the podcast um, that, that it stuck with me. And you said, you know, I was 13 and I was acting out. But to be honest, I was probably reaching out. And I don't think people understand that because that's what I think a lot of people who are living homeless on the streets are doing are just trying to figure out a way to get through it. Mm -hmm. And what they really need is somebody to help them out. I mean, it seems like every time you're walking down 17th Street with a burn barrel and a shopping cart, somebody puts it out and gives you a blanket. You light a fire, they take you and they're trying to help you out the best Mm -hmm. that they can. Mm -hmm. But you're on the streets for two years. And um, there's got to be something that gets you to the next episode. What happens?
2: So I, I went to the laundromat when I was staying. I was staying in the Lantern House, and that's a homeless shelter. Yeah, yep. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful place to get help if you need it. Um, uh, the laundry list there was like a week long, and I was just going to get my laundry done. So I put it in a bag, and I went walking down to the laundromat. Went down to Ninth Street laundromat, did my laundry, and then on the way back, um, I shot a video actually, which is a crazy thing on 33rd about how much longer do i have to walk before i find home again and then boom i get hit by a truck what
1: whoa right. while you were filming
2: no no oh, i filmed after. and put the put it away and then and then boom i wake up in the hospital right wow. you get hit by a truck yeah by a ford f-150 oh, going how fast 40 miles an hour
0: holy cow
2: yeah. whoa it threw me 29.4 feet wow yeah it gave me 27 staples in my head again right okay. and broke my left femur so I got hit oh. on the right side. Thank God I have my laundry bag, right? Uh, duffel bags and bags are my thing. I think. Wow, well, it sounds like <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. um, so I get hit and thrown that, and it breaks, snaps my femur, and, and I wake up in the hospital. That can be deadly, broken yeah. femur. Yeah, I shouldn't be alive from that. Uh, period. Right. Yeah. Let alone. Yeah, a car hitting you at forty. Yeah. yeah. It's you. Like it's not not just a car, but like you ever be driving forty miles an hour. And pay attention when you get to a crosswalk, and just imagine that, like, mm-hmm. it, it'll change your life, right? Yeah.
0: So now you're in the hospital. You're waking up with 27 stitches again. Mm-hmm. Um, and what does that do to you?
2: Uh, it just gives me a new place to sell drugs. So now you're selling drugs in the hospital? I'm um, out of the re- rehabilitation center that I was in. Yeah, because I can have visitors, and it's okay. Mm. Right. I mean, that's a bad way to look at it, but it, it's what it didn't change. It didn't stop my addiction. It just helped f- give me the fuel. To, to be more successful in what i was doing at that time right
1: so after you were stable they put you in the rehabilitation center and that's where you started selling again
2: yeah okay. yeah
1: do they ever find out
2: um i don't think so but people aren't stupid you know they probably knew but um i never got in trouble for it right?
0: and so you finally graduate from rehabilitation and then where do you go
2: and then i then I meet Nina. Um, she's my fiance now the most wonderful thing in the world um and her three kids right so i go i get my settlement i got a bunch of money and i go to uh to the wood springs hotel and i'm spending all my settlement money now just doing the same thing um then you know everything that happened in my addiction is not important because it's nothing happen, nothing exciting nothing great about it right like it that's not important but from from there um we end up getting a house together in Washington Terrace, and I start building a relationship with her and her three kids, um, who are just amazing children, right? They've been through so much. Uh, their father left them four years ago, uh, mm-hmm. never to return. So, um, But I'm still stuck in my addiction, right? Mm-hmm. I'm still dragging them through this and and causing a lot of trauma and a lot of fighting and a lot of negativity. Um, and, and And so that progresses for a little while like that. And then we get a new house over here on, in 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 Ogden, um, with rooms for everybody. And then I get a DUI. This is when this is when life changed, right? This is when I finally found my um, my idea for recovery. I uh, I've got to stop
0: you there because yeah. he goes, "This is where life changes." <laughs> yeah. But he's been through all these life changing events up to then. I mean, even yeah. getting hit by a car going forty miles an hour. Yeah. Well, you get a DUI, and you get your idea for recovery. I want to know what that comes in the form of.
2: Uh, a 1-800 number, the, the, uh, the 1-800-HELP-NOW. I Googled I googled uh, how to get off meth, and the 1-800 number came up. And they shot me a bunch of text messages. I think there was like three different places that I recommended. And I called one they didn't answer, and I called another one and left a message. And then I called the third one, and it was Action Recovery. Um, and I spoke with Lizzie. We've had her on the show. Yeah, she uh, she changed my life already right then, uh, and I didn't know it. But she ended up having a conversation with me on Zoom that same hour from the, from the minute I got in contact with her till on my, my drive back from from here from North Salt Lake. Um, I was zooming with her. Oh, that's great! And and she was talking to me about getting me into the IOP and what did what would happen there, and and uh, yeah, I remember I remember her telling me, uh, "So you're not going to use right." And I said, "Well, I'm not going to go out and find any drugs. But when do I start treatment?" On Monday. Okay, well, I got enough till then. You know, like I, I was going to quit, but I didn't quit yet, right? Mm-hmm. Until Monday that I think it was the 22nd. I well, know it's the 22nd is when my sober date. Um that's when I got sober and I and I haven't went back and I've been there at action treatment now.
0: So this was just last October.
2: Yeah, 159 days ago.
0: That's wild.
1: Yeah, that is. Tell me what you like about it like I like the fact that you kind of highlight that the uh, the DUI was sort of an epiphany. It was like a oh, wake up call. You started looking for for treatment options. So there was something different about that experience, obviously for you. But once you got to the recovery center, like what what did you cl- connect with? Like what about it do you feel like has been helpful to you?
2: Right, right from the gate, they they said, "Hey, we're all addicts in recovery," mm-hmm. and that right there sold me. Now, if you said, hey, I got a Ph.D., I've never done a drug, never had alcohol, never done a cigarette, but I'm going to help you, I would have turned around and walked the other way.
1: It's hard to relate to those guys. Yeah.
2: Not saying that what you have to say might not be the most important thing that I need to hear, but for me, being other addicts in recovery, everybody in there is why I stayed.
1: Well, I think there's a lot of value in that. So so they got you on the phone right away, and they got you in, and Mm -hmm. you felt like, hey, these are people that can really understand me.
2: Yeah. And 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 it was a group setting right from the from the gate. Room. It's everything in action is done in in a group setting. Every um, so everybody in treatment is in the is in the group, and then all the counselors are are all in recovery too. And and that's that's what's been helpful for me. Um, hearing other people's stories, uh, that's what's changed my life. I tell everybody in treatment, I'm like. I'm like a, like a battery. Well, in one of my classes, right? I said, I said, I'm like a battery, but not the kind you throw away. I'm the kind that's got to be recharged. Yeah. So I come to treatment, right? So I could sit in my charging dock because I'm taking some from you, and I'm taking some from you, and I'm taking yeah. some from you, and I'm going to make it my own. That's going to help me be successful in my recovery. But I'm giving back, too, because I, I'm not afraid to talk and share my story. We can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Michael you be quiet now. No, 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 no that's no,
1: I, actually people who are willing to talk and tell yeah. their story help others.
0: That's exactly you know, right. The one thing that I found interesting about your story um, is in the beginning, you know, you, you, you gave us some examples of, you know, trauma and situations that you've been through that will, will make it relatable for some people out there. But towards the end of your story, you said, you know – all this stuff is not that important. It's what I'm doing now. And that's what this podcast is. Right. It's like, I mean, you, we've had so many people in this podcast that will talk about situations and, and I think they're important to let people know how bad it can get and how good it can become. Right. But towards the end, you just said it, that, that, that stuff's not really important. Mm. It's, yeah. it, it's not who I am. It's who I was and who I am is a guy who's living in recovery. Who I am is a guy who's trying to give back to a group of people who've given me so much. Who I am is a stand up guy. Who I am is someone who's trying to make this world a little bit better. Yeah. And I think that's what's so amazing about you. And it's 156
2: days 59 is not that long. No. If you add up 22 years of addiction, that's how many days I was in addiction, right? Since November of 99 is what I put it. And I wrote that down on the board one day. It's like 8,000 something days. And then I said, compared to how many days I've been clean, that's nothing. And look at the great things that are happening already you know i can't wait to to put that many days about and say hey i've been sober for this long and look at what we have changed in the world
0: and you're doing some wonderful things uh i know i've talked to lizzie before and she says you know all all you do is talk about recovery and you want to help and so you're doing some interesting things what are you doing
2: um so uh I'm starting the tug 2 recovery. It's a uh, right right now. It's it's just a, a place for other addicts to connect and share support and love and strength for each other. Because it only takes one conversation to change somebody's life. Uh, as we know, I experienced with Lizzie. Lizzie was my tug, right? No pun intended. But um, a, a tug
1: is he, like a he, tugboat. Yeah. 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 So a tugboat, if you've lived in Portland, mm-hmm. you know, or the Columbia River, you know that uh tugboats are relatively small compared to the big, huge uh-huh. ships that they pull along, mm-hmm. but they're powerful and it's sometimes you might look out there on the river and, and think the big boats are the most powerful, but it's the tugboats that are moving everybody around. So I like that analogy. That's yeah. really cool. And helping people navigate
0: the yeah.
2: murky
1: waters, yeah. because that's what they're designed for.
0: to yeah. get you through the rough waters and the rocky parts and, and to mm-hmm. get you to safe sure
2: yeah yeah i love it i love everything you guys are saying because it's exactly how i feel about it and what i feel about it and even even right i work in the airplane industry too okay so in airplanes are moved around by tugs when they can't oh, that's do it true. Themselves, they have right? the,
1: those also yeah
2: yeah so so when they can't do it themselves that's what i want to provide
0: so what advice would you have for somebody out there who's either battling addiction or living with a family member that's battling addiction I mean, how what what conversation could you maybe start to help them understand or get them pointed in the right direction or a tug in the right direction?
2: Just listen and and don't don't be afraid to help. Even if you've helped them uh, ten times or a hundred times or whatever, it, it doesn't matter. Just listen. Right? Listening is the number one thing because I like to talk, mm-hmm. and, and when people listen, it, it helps me. So so listen and share your story and be authentic about it. Um, and don't stop trying like chris chris cook is my boss right um he didn't give up on me because he believed in me um even in my darkest of days right um just don't give up on people that's about the best advice i can give and and Mm -hmm. when you stick your hand out and you say i got you don't just stick it out get me you
1: Mm -hmm. know well, I think you're a wonderful example of something that we talk a lot about on the show. And that is, you know, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It's connection. Connection. Yeah. Did I mess that up? It's all right. Ah, it's okay. But the idea is that being connected helps everybody move along. And uh, if you're somebody who's struggling with addiction, find a healthy connection. Somebody – and if you're in an opportunity to help people, you should – you should reach out and do it
0: you know and, and the fact that you found your recovery through a 1-800 number yeah is pretty impressive uh and you didn't stop at the first number you didn't stop at the second number
2: no nope.
0: you called the third and somebody answered and uh they listened and you listened and they're putting you on a path uh to find recovery so how is life different for you today
2: oh god everything so everything i've ever dreamed of is is happening now um my job is 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 back good. Like my the kids that aren't even my kids are, are calling me dad now, and and uh, everything everything in my life, my finances, the core things, everything that had been going bad, bad is going good now. Uh, it happens fast, so hold like hold on. If you're new in recovery, it doesn't matter whether you got a second, a minute, an hour, a day. You're 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 important. You're the most important person, just like you were talking about the guys with two years or ten years or twenty years. Yeah, their 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 input is important, but uh, the newcomer is the most important person. And and mm, jam me up there. You're doing good. Yeah. And you know what?
0: If I could give you some advice, um, make sure you take a breath. Make sure you stop and enjoy your success, because uh, there's going to be times when there's not going to be people around you. They're going to be able to charge your battery, and you're going to have to be able to sustain it by yourself because th- that's what you – know, I've seen it uh, so many times before when people get in recovery and they get out and they've got this pink cloud surrounding them, and they're all gung-ho, and I think that's great. But you've got to make sure that you can maintain it, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's sometimes taking a step back, taking a deep breath and appreciating what you've got and celebrate the accomplishments that you've made. Uh, I-, I like people that are gung-ho. But you've also got to make sure where you're at is where you're at, and you're
1: okay with that.
2: Mm -hmm. I agree.
1: The psychologist in me wants to ask about the trauma. So do you feel like you're getting help with – because I'm guessing there's three types of trauma. One we sort of skipped over. You've had the two experiences that you mentioned. But living on the streets, and you mentioned there's some people that do bad things. And I think that one thing – well, one thing I do know from talking with other people who have been homeless is they sustain a lot of trauma of things that happen to them. Do you feel like you're starting to get ready to work on some of that? Because that's my concern for a guy in your position is that we don't want that trauma to go untreated and pull you back.
2: Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you – there's a question here. Do I feel like I are you to getting, on Are you getting help? It? With oh, it? I, I'm getting the help. I need it from action 100%. Okay, like – all, all of my, um, uh, the tools that I'm learning to do with all my coping mechanisms, all the stuff I'm learning. Um, I'm getting from the, from the group, right? Like when I read my life story, uh, it was real impactful because so I didn't talk about this, but I've got a, my son, right? Um, he don't talk to me right now, but I put him through a lot of trauma from the alcohol and from the drugs. And then the abandonment right there when, when, uh, me and Sarah split up, um, but when I read my life story, I realized for the first time that I took from my son the one thing that I ran to find, right? Like I left mm. my mom's house to find my dad, and, and then what I do to my own son, I take it away from him because I let my addiction get the best of me. Mm. That's a powerful insight. Yeah. Um, that's if, – if I was a therapist, that I would say would be the main trauma thing that I need to figure out how to deal with because okay. I miss my son. You know, I want to I wanna learn – that's what I'm not getting in treatment. I'm not learning how to deal with that.
1: Well, not yet anyway. Yeah, it's You're, time. It's a process. Yeah, right? I, am, I am extremely, extremely impressed with the progress you've made in 159 days. And I think that, you know, from a psychologist's point of view, we, we have to see that things take time. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, if, if you chip away at it, if you stay consistent with it, any kind of therapy, whether it has to do with your addiction and recovery and getting healthier, uh, and healthier in that regard, but also your own personal trauma and uh, reconnecting with your son. Uh, I, I'm confident that the, this guy I'm looking at right now, if you stay this guy going forward, that's going to work out too.
0: You can't mm-hmm. fix uh, what 8,000 days have done in 159 days.
1: No. Nope. But what I like is you're kind of implying the days aren't necessarily. Mm -hmm. equal right because these 159 days they have some serious power in them Mm -hmm. don't they and that's really cool. So it's not going to take 8,000 days to make up for those 8,000 days. But, you know, stick with it. I think you're on the right path. You look I, – I, don't you just – look I like look at – he makes me want to smile. Oh, yeah. Because he's just he's a jo- he just, real fun-loving guy. He's got
0: positive energy. So he's got a zest for life. Yeah. And he wants to help as many people as he can. Yeah. And that's what I
1: want you to do is help as many people Even as you can. Even though you helped him leave a naughty message on my phone. <laughs> well, yeah. it, was, it was his idea. <laughs> oh, sure.
0: So I, I want to say thank you for stopping by. Uh, you're amazing, and – I. I can't wait to see where you go with this, and I I think the sky's the limit. I mean, I really do. I think it's going to be amazing. So thank you very much.
2: What a great opportunity it's been. Thank you, guys. Like An experience of a lifetime, you know?
1: Well, you did great, and we appreciate it. And mostly, I'm excited for people to hear your story and get inspired by it.
0: And thank you for stopping by and listening to another episode of Project Recovery. And in case you forgot, Project Recovery is what, Dr. Matt?
1: It's a KSL podcast. His name is Joe Sif. (laughs) Joseph.